Let's pray together. Father, we surrender these coming moments over to you. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will take the passage of Scripture that we're getting ready to read and others along with it. And Lord, you would feed our spiritual souls as Christians. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here that has not yet trusted Christ as their personal Savior, if they've not yet come to that point in time in life when they have acknowledged that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, Lord, I pray that they would see clearly from the Scripture that Jesus of Nazareth was your very own Son and that you sent him to earth to shed his blood on the cross so that we might be forgiven of our sins and adopted into your family and receive eternal life. Lord, please be magnified in these moments. Lord, may we truly know when we leave this place today that you are alive, that even though you died on that cross and they placed you on, in the grave, on that third day you truly raised from the dead because you are God's very own son. Father, please, please, Lord, have your will and your way. And again, I pray that we'll surrender these moments ahead to you and we'll open our hearts and our minds to the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope if you don't have your Bibles open, if you do, I, I hope that you'll follow. But please look on the screen and let me read these first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. And let me just say a couple of quick things. It is thought that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And both books begin basically the same way. Luke speaks to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus means friend of God. We do not know if Theophilus was a believer. Perhaps he was, and Luke was trying to share with him all that he knew about Jesus. He was mentoring this man. We don't know if he was a non-believer, and Luke was trying to persuade him to follow Christ. We don't know if this was some type of Roman official that had become a believer, and Luke is trying to share every detail so that he too can become a witness. But folks, some of the most beautiful words about the resurrection of Jesus Christ are found in these first 11 verses in chapter 1 of Acts. So please follow with me. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit." So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, now listen to this, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Several weeks ago, while we were doing a study of Psalms 23, I questioned the Lord. And, and folks, I hope you don't mind me telling you that I, I talked to the Lord, I questioned him, and I can truly tell you I seek his guidance in what to preach on. And folks, I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I would never dare stand in this pulpit and think that in my own wisdom and knowledge that I could stand here and tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I question the Lord, why are you leading me to preach messages on the 23rd Psalm rather than preparation for Easter, the death and resurrection of Christ? And three weeks before Easter, the Lord impressed on my heart that you and I individually and also as members of a body of believer, believers needed to focus this year on what happened after the resurrection. And folks, I'd never really taken any time to look at some of the events that happened after the Lord's resurrection. And so let me share these notes with you before we get started. As after Christmas, and sometimes we do pack Jesus away with the Christmas tree, do we after Easter simply push the resurrected Christ aside and move on with our lives until next Christmas and Easter? And please hear this not sarcastically, but do you and I have a holiday theology? Is Christ only important to us at Christmas time and at Easter? And I begin to think about that and ponder that in my own heart and life. Secondly, do you and I truly believe in and commit ourselves to the resurrected Lord? Because let me tell you something. Jesus is alive and present today. And let me tell you what's going to happen. There are at least five things that are going to happen, I believe, that's revealed in these first 11 verses if the resurrected Christ is alive and present in our lives. First of all, we will experience his power. Again, please notice, and Steve, you don't have to go back to this, but in verse 8, Jesus says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Folks, listen. We could not have power from a dead Jesus. But the resurrected Jesus told his disciples that after he ascended back into heaven, God would send his power upon them. And folks, as people who believe in the resurrected Lord, do we also believe in his claim that when he left, he would send the spirit, the power of God to be in believers. Secondly, when Jesus is alive and present in our life, we experience daily fellowship with him. He truly walks with us and talks with us. And if you've got your Bible open, go back to verse 3. And again, Steve, you don't have to go back to that, but let me read it to you again. Verse 3. To them he presented himself alive after his passion. The word passion means death. By many proofs. I love the way the King James translates that. By many infallible proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. For 40 days, the Lord Jesus was with these disciples. And folks, listen, 
And this thought, this thought dawned on me this morning coming to church. Jesus is more alive today than we are. Now listen to this. Jesus is more alive today than we are because he has already gone through death, the grave, and he is the eternal Lord of lords and King of kings. And he desires, he desires to walk with us and talk with us and fellowship with us. For 40 days, the resurrected Lord was with those disciples. And folks, if you and I allow Jesus to be alive in our lives, we will understand the mission that he has for us. And during those 40 days, what does he tell them? Not only about the power that he's going to give them, but he gave them his mission in verse 8. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And folks, as the book of Acts literally plays out, they begin preaching and teaching and witnessing in Jerusalem. Then they go into the to the district, Judea. Then they began to extend beyond the border of Judea and Samaria. And beginning in chapter 8, they go to the ends of the earth. And thank God for that because they came to North Carolina, somebody witnessing and telling about the resurrected Lord. And that's why you and I have a church here. And that's why we know about Jesus Christ. And folks, listen, it all started because Jesus could not be held in the grave. And he's alive today. Hallelujah. Amen. We need to be happy Baptists sometimes. You know that? I came close to saying Pentecostal, didn't I? But we really do. Look, I, that's not, I'm not saying anything bad about the Pentecostals. That's not what I mean. Folks, we have got so much to glorify God about. We've got so much to be thankful about. And folks, let me tell you something else. When we believe, our, believe in and commit ourselves to the resurrected Lord, we know where he is right now. And where is that? That's a multitude of places. He's in our hearts. He's with us in this room. But folks, more than anything else, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And listen to what the angel says in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the heaven, this Jesus who is taking up from you, into where? Where did he go? He went to heaven. Folks, don't worry that Jesus might be in the grave somewhere over in Palestine. He is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father right now at the place appointed for him. But folks, let me tell you what else they say in verse 11. He is coming back for us. Listen to what the angel says. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Folks, are we committed to this? Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus did raise from the dead? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's got a mission for us. One day he's coming back. Do we believe that? And folks, if we believe that when we leave this place, we'll never be the same. Amen? Amen. And folks, that's the difference in just treading water in the Christian life and really being on mission for God. And that is believing in and committing to a resurrected living Lord. And folks, there's another question we need to ask ourselves. As a church, are we weak, dysfunctional, and unconcerned? You know, I believe that many churches have swallowed the lie that the story of Jesus is a good story, but he is not a living presence in the church. He is not the head and Lord of the church. And folks, there are signs of that everywhere because so often we seek to do the Lord's work in our power, in our skill, in our wisdom, and for our glory. 
when the living Jesus is not ruling and reigning in our hearts and in our churches, we commit ourselves to failure. And that's just the honest to goodness truth. I tell you what, tomorrow morning get up and say, Lord, I don't need you today. I'm going to live for you in my own power, strength, wisdom, and knowledge and see what happens. I believe for most of us, by mid-morning, we're going to be raving the white flag and say, Lord, I surrender you. I've already made a mess. Can I have an amen? Amen. Folks, that is the truth. We become dysfunctional in our work with the Lord and walk with him when he does not rule and reign. The most important presence in this church is not the pastor's, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, and any other leader, but the most important presence in this church is the presence of the resurrected Lord. And folks, that's the bottom line. We need to have truly an Easter faith. And we don't need to have holiday theology. We need to have the everyday Lord Jesus walking with us. Folks, why is the resurrection so important? And let me, I've got uh, at least four reasons here I want to point out why the resurrection is so important. And I hope you'll just listen. I'm going to be reading uh, a number of scriptures. And I hope that if you don't have time to jot these down, all you got to do is call Fran, okay? And she'll, she can give you a copy of this. Where you at, Fran? All right. That's what a good church secretary does. Pray for us. Pray for Fran as we have been temporarily put into a, a tough situation, okay, because of the office time. Let's get back on subject, Herbert. Um, there are several reasons why the resurrection is so important. The number one reason for me is without the resurrection, Jesus is a liar. Did you know that? If he had not been raised from the dead, Jesus would be the biggest liar who's ever walked on the planet. Let me read some scripture to you. Matthew 20, verses 17, 18, and 19. Just follow us. I'll read these, Okay. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. Read this last phrase with me. And he will be raised on the third day. Listen to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. Read this phrase with me again. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Mark chapter 9, verse 31 and 32. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, read this phrase with me, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Listen to Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit upon him, and scourge him, and kill him, and read with me. And after three days, he will rise. And listen to Luke chapter 18, verse 31 to 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written of the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon 
They will scourge him and kill him. Read with me. And on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hid from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And folks, I don't have this passage of Scripture because, again, this, this didn't come to my mind till this morning. But in John chapter 2, very early in his ministry, Jesus is at the temple. And they're looking at the temple talking about what a beautiful building. And I forget exactly how many days it took, uh, how many years it took to build the building. But Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it. And they began to make fun of Jesus and said, it took us over 40 years to build this temple. And you say that you can build it in three days. And John says he was talking about his body, not about a building. The second reason the, important, the resurrection is important is because the resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. Listen to these verses. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried. Read the next phrase with me. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And listen to Romans chapter, nine, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, read this with me, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For man believes with his heart and so is justified, he confesses with his lips, and he is so is saved. And folks, if Christ were not raised, listen to what Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians again, chapter 15, verses 14 to 19. Listen as we read this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And I wish I could underline this. Look at the last part of verse 17. You are still in your sins. If Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are all men most to be pitied. Folks, let me recap this. Listen to what Paul has said if Christ were not raised. I'm just going to run over this quickly. Verse 14, our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain. Verse 15, we're found to be misrepresenting God if Christ is not raised. Verse 17, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Verse 18, you know what that means? If we're still in our sins, we've got to find a Savior. We've got to find a way to get to heaven and meet the eternal creator, God. But thank God through the blood of his son. And thank God for the choir that sang his blood hadn't lost his power. Verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Think about this. Would it not be tragic if when our loved ones died, there was no hope that they had gone beyond the grave to heaven? You know what it would mean? It would mean that they're gone forever. 
It would mean that heaven is not real. It would mean that Christ hasn't prepared a place for us. It would mean no eternal reunion with those that we love. And Paul says in verse 19, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, we're the biggest bunch of idiots on the planet. Please don't be offended that I said it that way. What we do coming here on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, whenever we come, giving our tithes and offering, doing mission trips, doing operation in as much, we are just simply the stupidest people in the world if Christ is not raised. But let me tell you what Paul says. Look at 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. I love this verse. But in fact, read this next phrase with me. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Folks, here's the point I'm trying to make. If you and I hear Matthew and Luke and John and Paul and all the rest of the New Testament, Christ Jesus is risen, he is alive. Amen. And folks, look what Paul said. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I don't ever use that terminology and say, well, you're the first fruits. You know, I could say, Rebecca's the first fruits of my loins. <laughs> Never mind, not, that's not the notes, all right. All right. But here's the point. In biblical times, when farmers had a crop, they gave their first fruits to God as a sign that they recognized that God had brought the harvest and these first fruits were a guarantee that more would come. And here's the point that Paul is making. Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by God the Father, he is the guarantee to us that one day we will rise again as well as those that we love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if somebody says, how can you say you're going to raise from the dead? You can simply say, well, Jesus did, and he said he's the first fruits. And you begin to explain to them what that means. And folks, let me tell you why the resurrection of Jesus is so important to this church, to our church, to every church. The spiritual power that we are dependent upon to be a church is given by the resurrected Lord. Is that not what he said in Acts 1.8? In our message, the gospel involves the truth of the resurrection. Remember what we read from 1 Corinthians 15.3 and 4? And Romans 10, 9, Paul says, I've declared to you the gospel that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. In Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You and I cannot be born into the kingdom of God without believing that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and alive today. And folks, let me tell you something. If Jesus were dead, the church would be speechless. Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus Christ were not resurrected from the grave, there would be no spiritual power in the church. There would be no message in the church. There would be no mission plan for the church. And there would be no divine presence directing the work. And folks, I believe that is under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the picture that Luke is trying to to paint for us in Acts chapter 1. 
Let me read some notes to you, and I want to give credit to Frank Stagg. He's a, a Bible scholar years ago. He wrote a book entitled The Book of Acts, and here's two things he says about these verses in Acts chapter 1. He says, Jesus is the directing force in things that are being accomplished in the church. Jesus, not Paul or Peter or any earthly figure, is responsible for the movement which became and continues to be worldwide. The work before the church is so heavy in its demands that nothing short of the power of the risen Christ could equip them for it. It was not a task for weakness and fear, but those living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrected Lord. Folks, here's the point. Our church, every church would die without the presence of the living Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. You realize that? I thank God for every single member of this church. And I thank God so many, all of you, have been so supportive. And I I ask that all of you continue to pray for the church, that God would use it. But folks, let me tell you, every church is a miracle and ongoing work of the resurrected Lord. And I become dissatisfied sometimes, just like you do. There's a lot of bad things that go on not only in our church, in every church. There's a pile of things that we could get disgruntled about. But, folks, let me tell you something. We must not stop believing in our church and its mission because we are the body of believers under the influence and power of the presence of the living Lord. Even though every single member most especially the pastor, might be struggling in a weak center, but the resurrected, risen Lord walks with, empowers, guides, forgives, and fills us as we do his work. And folks, this has been the pattern since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as you read the book of Acts, you see the resurrected Lord who is leading and empowering the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, give me just a couple more minutes. I'm just about finished for this morning, okay? But folks, did everybody in Jesus' day believe that he was raised from the dead? You know the answer to that? No. And let me give you some examples. After his resurrection, and you'll see on this next overhead, Steve, if you go to this, and, and these are some areas that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. I want to talk about the first reactions of the disciples after the resurrection. And just, if you want to jot these down, we'll put them back up next Sunday, or you can call Fran again, she'll give them to you, all right? All right. right. The first reactions of the disciples. In John chapter 20, verses 19 to 21, they were fearful and hid from the Jews. Do you realize that? They were afraid that if they professed Christ, they'd get crucified just like they crucified Jesus. How about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, 13 to 35? They were sad and without hope. As far as they knew, Jesus was dead and gone. You remember what happened? In John 20, Jesus came to where the disciples were. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus walked with these two men and revealed himself. And they go back and they tell the disciples, we have seen the Lord. Here's another example. In in John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, you know this story. Thomas was not there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And he said, listen, let let me read to you what Thomas says. Oh, this is beautiful. 
So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand on his side, I'll not believe. You remember that? I double dog dare you. If you have not yet come to Christ, if you just simply say, Lord, if you're real, you show yourself to me like Thomas did. You know what happened? The next week, the Lord Jesus came. And what did he do? He let Thomas touch where he had been nailed to the cross and let Thomas touch his side. You remember what Thomas said? My Lord and my God. Seven disciples were going to their previous employment in John 21, 1 through 19. That's D, okay? You know what that story's about? Peter and six other disciples said, Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going with you. Let me ask you something. How many of us have been born into the kingdom of God, believed and served the Lord for a brief period of time, and then said, well, I'm going back the way things used to be? Are you in that boat? The resurrected Lord will get you fired back up. The final thing I want to point out, how many people were truly following Jesus after his resurrection? How many? In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brethren, the company of people was about 120. Did you know that the early church began with less members than we have in our church? Do you know that the early church began with less believers than we've got in this group right now. Wouldn't you say there's over 120 people here? Folks, here's my point. If there was so much doubt and so much fear and so much hopelessness, what made the difference? I'm glad you asked. Acts 1, 3. For 40 days, Jesus presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs. 40 days. I want to ask you something. If you had somebody to come and stay at your house for 40 days, and somebody said, is that person really alive, what would you say? Of course. He's been in my house. I want to give a challenge this morning, okay? Steve, would you? Hold right there, okay. I want to challenge you. As Christians, I'm challenging myself, okay? Would for the next 40 days, you spend some time with the Lord. If you got any doubts about he's alive, would you spend some time with the Lord? Would you, and folks, this won't be that hard. Would you, for the next 40 days, read a chapter a day for 40 days? And let me encourage you to do this. Would you start with John chapter 1 and read through Acts 19? That's 40 chapters. Would you find a living Bible or a good news Bible, or if you've got a Bible that you can quickly read and understand, would you do that for the next 40 days? Would you give X amount of time in prayer with a purpose and desire? Lord, I've lost my Jesus. I don't have the mojo in serving you that I used to have, but I want to know that resurrected power. I want to know your presence in my life. You know, I believe it would turn our church upside down, turn our lives upside down. And this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, would you ask Christ in these next 40 days, 
Folks, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't think it would take 40 days. I don't think it would take 40 hours. I don't think it would take 40 minutes for him to reveal himself. Would you, as a person seeking to know if Christ is alive, would you give him these next 40 days? In just a minute, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. It's number 276. It's going to be on the overhead. But let me ask you once again, not to please me. You know, my job is just to sow seeds. That's it. Because only the Lord can bring the increase. But have you been putting off coming to Christ? Maybe you've trusted him, but you've never made it public. Would you come today? Folks, if there's ever a time in our world's history when the church needs to be the church and we need to be declaring the living Lord, it's right now. It might be our neighbors, it might be our family, it might be our co-workers that need to see the living Jesus in us. As we stand together and sing, and as the Lord Jesus leads, would you come? Number 276.